BWI is live. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, on this Thanksgiving Monday. First and foremost, before the formal introductions, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, and happy Thanksgiving now as a part of our formal introductions. Nate Bauer, Senior Editor of Blue White Illustrated. Happy Thanksgiving. How's the family this week, Nate? What, what are you guys up to this week? You know, uh, as long as everybody's alive, like that's... I got two kids <laughs> under four... So the one, the, the littlest, I, I don't want to go off track here. The littlest is keeping us up at night. It's horrible. I'm thankful to be awake right now. <laughs> well, as I've always been told, children make the holidays magical. So you no, should children have a are horrible, wonderful time. Awful, Dave? Terrible, terrible people. <laughs> Happy holidays. Hope you're having a good, uh, a good start to your holiday week. What are your plans for the week? You, uh, you have anything fun? You're doing Friendsgiving? Going back and hanging out with college friends? I'm treating you uh, like you're 21, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Not quite that exciting. I'm going, ha- I'm going back to hang out with my parents. So, you know, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's something. But yeah, it'll be fun. Just eat a bunch of food, take home a bunch of leftovers, not have to cook for like two weeks, have it made. Well, lucky you guys. My in-laws are coming today at 3.30, and I'm cooking every meal this week. So I do like that, so that's nice. But also, the pressure is now on to be impressive. Uh, we're here, BWI Live, Penn State won 28 nothing this weekend. So we are talking about what came out of the game against Rutgers. Um, just before we get into the main topic today, just so everyone is on the same page, because believe it or not, there are still people that don't know what was going on with Penn State last week. So, Dave, please fill us in on what James Franklin said the situation was this week when he talked to the media after practice. You got it. They were all sick. <laughs> um, they had 35 guys unavailable for the game. 21 of them were due to the flu. Uh, they had another 14 guys trying to play through the flu. Uh, so yeah, it was a mess, um, especially the offensive line, uh, Rashid Walker, Caden Wallace, Mike Miranda, um, Curtis Jacobs didn't play because of the flu. That's why Sean Clifford left the game. So they were all sick and it was not ideal. And, and the way we'll get into more of those details over time. And of course, Nate, you were there post game. You talked to James Franklin and, and, and had some, uh, insights into that particular situation but the main storyline coming out of this game and we've already got somebody in the chat that's asking about it is Christian Veyu retro a true freshman quarterback comes in for the as you mentioned Dave sick and uh not performing well Sean Clifford and leads Penn State to one of their more explosive offensive days that they've had so far this season so Nate I want to ask you what were your impressions of Veyu as he went throughout his day on Saturday. Yeah, I, th- I thought he was good. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, it's tough, right? Like uh, the opponent certainly comes into the equation when talking about him. And so you, you understand that uh, Rutgers past defense hasn't been particularly strong this season. And so, uh, y- y- you know, how much, 
you don't want to get carried away, right? Like you want to give this kid all the credit in the world. I think that he deserves that credit um, to, to come in in his first performance and do what he did. Uh, 283, five yards, something like that. Uh, three touchdowns, uh, you know, 15 of 24 passes. What You know, I think that was the stat line for him. That's good. Those are those are good numbers. That's a that's a good day. The thing that I actually came away uh, from it, I looked at his uh, at the passing chart, and what struck me was he didn't have any streaks. He 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 didn't have any four misses in a row, even you know in either direction, right? Like he he completed a pass, he had an incompletion, completed one, incompletion, um, and so you know if you can if you can avoid those spells of inaccuracy, I, I think that bodes well. Um, and so that was, that was, you know, kind of my takeaway, but certainly as to modest flamingos first comment, it, it becomes a much more difficult and challenging proposition, right. For next weekend. Like if, right. if Sean Clifford is healthy, I'm not sure that we, that it would be fair to put, the same expectations on Christian value at Michigan state against that defense, uh, as you know, he performed against Rutgers at Beaver stadium on Saturday. So let me ask you then, Dave, uh, from what you saw, did Christian value perform as well as the numbers would indicate? And to give you the numbers, just again, as, as Nate pointed them out, 15 of 24 for 235 yards, three touchdowns, including a 67 yard touchdown, also added 10 carries for 36 yards on the ground. Was he up to that level or are you seeing some things that maybe were not present the first time go around watching it live? Well, I guess the first thing that you point out is maybe 65 of those yards came on a coverage bust from Rutgers because they just declined to cover Malik Mega in the middle of the field. Not a great uh, plan. No, that's not what you want to do. But but look, I'm not going to take away anything from this kid, right? This kid, it, he, he was sick too, by the way. So the, he's, he's, he's dealing with the after effects of the flu and he's, he's coming in and, and he's doing well. So I, I think, you know, was his performance as good as the numbers indicate? Maybe you can poke some holes in it, but you know, I, I you got to give him credit. He was good. Uh, I, I, I have a hard time, I guess, just like diminishing that, but I'm sure T Frank that you probably saw some things that you'd like to point out. Sure. And most of those, by the way, if you want to take a look at them are in my film study that I do each week that is up right now live at Blue White Illustrated. Uh, and you can join Blue White Illustrated at our new home on three for just one dollar. The link to the sign up for that deal, 12 months of access for just one dollar in the description of the video. So if you are enjoying the show, two things that I have for you quickly. First off, give the show a like. Give the, the video a like. That lets everyone know on Monday they're, they're not in their rhythm because it's a holiday week. So they probably might not be paying attention. They'll go, oh, look at that. Then YouTube goes, oh, hey, people are enjoying this. We'll get more people in here. We'll answer more questions. We'll have a good time. Secondly, sign up in the link for just $1. But yes, there were obvious holes when you only throw 24 passes in a game. There are things that we just have no way of knowing about Christian Veyu at this point in time. Some of those I pointed out were uh, he played very well against man coverage, specifically against zero blitz coverage where you don't 
cover the receiver. Now, in these situations, he was under pressure. He played well. But when Rutgers threw things at him that were more complex, there were some mistakes. So if you want to see what those mistakes were, you can go check out the film review. But that's really the situation is to me is, can you expect to get the same game plan next week if you just today or tomorrow or whenever it is, declare that Christian Bay is the starter? Michigan State is not going to come in the same game plan against a true freshman that they now have some game film on. Nate, the whole the whole game was set up where where Rutgers was was designing to stop Sean Clifford. Then they midstream have to switch and they have to go to a guy they have no film on whatsoever. So I guess that is the the next thing as we've talked about. I know you you've given your hint at this. What what are the reasons why you cuz you want to start Christian Veyu. Everyone seems to want that to happen. What are the reasons why you don't want to do that? I, I don't know if I want to start him. I meant you, I, the universal you. I was kind of stumbling there at the end. Uh, it's not just the internet that's having problems today, apparently. No, look. Uh, and we all know this, right? Like, the quarterback, the backup quarterback is the most popular guy really in the world, let alone on Penn State's campus. And so, certainly having seen some of the challenges that Sean Clifford has had this season through his career, some of the things that he's tried to play through, um, you know, and then coming off of a, a win, right? Bottom line, a win when four of the previous five outings had not been. Um, yeah, I get it. I, I, I totally understand the sentiment. However, there, there are really a variety of things that Penn State and Jay Franklin specifically will have to consider, right? Uh, it, it is not just getting Christian Veyu ready for next season. It is, you, you want to win the game, right? It, it matters. The eight and four versus seven and five matters to Penn State. It matters to all those guys in that locker room. Uh, it matters to the program to, to, to get every win that you possibly can. Who gives you the best opportunity to do that? Who is versatile enough in terms of their breadth of knowledge and understanding of what Penn State wants to do offensively. Guess what? That's Sean Clifford. Uh, it, it just, it becomes more, it becomes a more interesting decision to make, however, now that you have seen Christian Veyu do it, right? They, they had yeah. no choice, right? Yeah. He, had, he had to play in that circumstance goes out there and is able to do it. So now he's got that under his belt. And as a coaching staff, you can say to yourself, oh, well, we don't have to play a guessing game of maybe he's got it, maybe he's ready, maybe he's not. Now you know, okay, this guy can go in there and operate a functional, successful offense. Not world-beating, but functional for sure. Yeah. Uh, and guess what? Against Michigan State, that might be enough. However, you still you still have to balance it with what is Sean Clifford's health, right? Uh, is, is he was holding his elbow uh, on the sideline? Cameras caught that. People in the stands caught that uh, when he came out of the game. How much of him being pulled had to do with his performance, being hooked up to an IV before the game, yeah, and that that elbow. If, well, did like he go? Elbow was did right, he go then, into the medical tent for that? It's one thing I did not see. He did. He did. He did. Okay. Yeah. And, and honestly, like uh, the, he didn't come back out to the sideline. I don't think 
uh, right through the game. I mean, now obviously you don't want somebody who's sick and vomiting and what what whatever other uh, facilities are necessary in that circumstance, circumstance for for a guy, but uh, I think there are some questions as to to what his availability would be just in general coming off of that game. Uh, Dave, I want I want you to answer Brad's question. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give it to you because I, we all know the answer to this, right? Like it's the supposition there. That's the problem. Right. Right. I mean, here's the thing. Penn state is not going to just play a young guy for the sake of playing a young guy. It's just going to be like the same thing is true of the offensive line who I'm sure we will get it onto. If Penn state feels like, like Sean Clifford gives them the best chance to win against Michigan state, they're going to play Sean Clifford because guess what? I mean, there's no guarantee that Christian Veyu is their starting quarterback next season, right? It could right. be there, there's this guy named Drew Alar who might have something to say about that. Um, you know, it could be a transfer. So it, it doesn't seem logical to me to to devote a big game um, to, to Christian Veyu for the sake of getting him ready for next season when you don't even know if he's going to be the guy. Um, yeah. And I, I just, can I also not- add that uh, nothing left to play for. Nothing left to play for. As as Nate said, have have you learned? Like, this is this is the point where, for for you, Brad, there's nothing left to play for. For you, you don't care about this game. You know who really cares about this football game coming up this weekend? Every single person in the Penn State locker room and coaching offices. They dedicate every single day of their lives. 16 hours a day for some of them, as the coaches do, to win this game coming up this weekend. I don't know how many times we have to say that. So so I understand, like, it's just, it's the perspective of seeing it from a position that isn't your own to say, okay, they really want to win this game coming up this weekend. And Brad, I, this you, you are by means not wrong. There's You are not wrong in the idea of the, the larger picture. But I'm just saying, like, you, you have to understand that that's only one aspect of it. The people that are living in that program are, like, that's 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 crazy talk to think, ah, well, this game doesn't mean anything. Every game means everything. And this is the, I, I say this all the time uh, on our postgame show when we get questions like this, Nate, is if you were to, if James Franklin were to do that, how much credibility would he lose in the locker room of going, saying, go one to know every week and then go, eh, well, maybe not this week. That seems like yeah. that would undercut his entire program building thing, wouldn't it? I actually, I, I think there's a counter argument to be made even outside of that realm, which is what if Michigan State lights him up? Yeah. What if, what if Michigan State sacks him 10 times and intercepts him five times and he's just thrown out to the wolves and you thought to yourselves, well, eh, who cares? doesn't matter. We got nothing to play for. This season's over. Uh, might as well throw him out there. They don't feel that way. I, yeah. I can say that very, very confidently that the, the notion of developing quarterbacks, and trust me, I understand how much uh, pushback there will be to what I'm about to say. It is a meticulous process. Yep. They want to control every single possible detail, 
right? And and variable that goes into it. And so you, it really, again, like I don't want to go too far off topic here, but there's a reason why James Franklin has been complaining about the non-conference schedule for Penn State this season all year long. And the fact that Penn State had to open the season at Wisconsin. The reason for that is players like Christian Veyu, who may have had an opportunity if Penn State had played Villanova week one and Ball State week two. And I, I don't know, you know, Marshall, <laughs> some garbage, right? Like what there, would have, there, whatever happened to Temple? would have been opportunities Temple. other than. Yeah. And, I, and it, it just is what it is like that. That opportunity did not happen. Penn State had to be ready to go out of the gates this season. And so that opportunity for development, that opportunity to test some of those guys uh, and give them in-game experiences that were of little consequence flew out the window. But now you're on the back half of the season. You're in the, the, the last regular season game. You still don't want to ruin this kid's ability to go into the offseason feeling good about himself yep. because yep. you will need him next year. And one of the things you don't, that you don't want him to be messed up. One of the things that was clear by his performance on Saturday, he's a very confident young man. That's the part you don't want to damage. That's the part where you um you're protecting that particular thing that's going to make him good because the accuracy and the decision making, you know, those are the some of those are going to go up and down, but the confidence to go through it is the big thing. And Dave, this is then the next part of this. Was there a coaching failing for not seeing his talent and saying he's the guy we should go with against Iowa or having a very short leash on a guy like Taquan Roberson? in that situation, knowing you had Christian Veyu on the, on the bench. Tell, how do you view that particular conversation that has cropped up and there has been talked about since the game and actually during the game so far this weekend? We got D Dave, you're muted. D buddy, you got to unmute yourself. Oops. Sorry. My, uh, my cat is not happy to be locked out, so I, <laughs> I've muted myself so that we don't have to listen to her trying to break in. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess it's impossible to me for anyone outside the the football facility to really accurately answer that question, right? Because we don't – the explanation that James Franklin gave us on Saturday was, because he was asked this pretty directly, and he said that he's allowed to get better. Christian Veyu is allowed to get better, more or less, is what he said. So in James Franklin, my, Franklin's mind, Christian Veyu progressed from a point um, in, in, in week five or six, I think it was week six, um, to now he, he progressed to the extent that he has now hopped Taquan Robertson on the, on the depth chart. Um, so is that a believable explanation? To me, I think it is. Yeah, the kid's a true freshman. They he, he's he's allowed to progress that much in that span of a time. I don't think that's an outrageous thing to say. Is it also possible that, you know, that's just kind of a convenient answer for Franklin to give uh, if, if he just made the wrong choice in that situation? Yeah. Uh, so to me, without having that inside knowledge, I, 
you just got to shrug. You don't know the answer. And, and people are going to feel very strongly about it. And I get that because you saw the results with Saquon Roberson and they were awful. Yep. But I, 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 I don't see how you can definitively say the, you know, he had to play that Iowa game. He was better at that point. Cause you don't know if, if you say that you don't know, you're full of it or that you, if you say that you didn't yeah. know you're full of it. You just don't yeah. To, to retroactively put, yesterday's or Saturday's performance back in time against Iowa. And I'll get into some of the differences between the two games from a schematic standpoint. But Nate, you have a point you want to make. I have a hot take. Okay. Hot. I hope we can hear it. Hot take. But they did make a mistake. They should have played him at Iowa. He was ready at Iowa. I don't know if ready is the right word, but the thing that James Franklin said that I thought was an, a little bit of an indictment on him and that particular decision had to do with what he said about how the gap didn't grow, right? Between Veyu and Roberson early in the year. They saw that in the preseason, right? Like it right. was... It was fairly early on when he started talking about the fact that there, I understood at the very, very beginning, um, he said that it was clear, right? That Roberson was ahead of AU. Yeah. Fine. In August, I, I have no problem with that. However, he started bringing up the fact that there wasn't enough of a separation between Roberson and Veyu, meaning Veyu was getting better and Roberson wasn't. Okay. If that's what you see, I, I'm sorry, but there were signs very, very early. I would argue immediately in that Iowa game that the, the train was off the tracks for, for take one Roberson. He was not able to, to, to function in that environment. And at that point, you know that that progress and that development had been stunted for him. Go go to the guy who is making progress. So, go to the guy who is doing those things uh, to get better. So, so is this an area where James Franklin's, uh, people have said loyalty, stubbornness, whatever it may be in that situation, whatever that yep. fixation on playing the guy that he feels comfortable with, is that a flaw in a guy, or is that something where the the process is correct, but the outcome is just unfortunate that Roberson didn't or couldn't reward that for, which has been rewarded in the past, by the way. So it is it has been 50-50 when it comes to these situations. How do you view that particular trait in James Franklin that I think is a problem for some Penn State fans? It's It's both. It's both, and you have to live with that. That's that's just that's life. If things are complicated. Loyalty is an unbelievably positive quality to have. It establishes trust. It it it's it's a, a foundational element of a relationship and in coaching, particularly the style of coaching and the style of leadership that James Franklin wants to have is essential. It is it is crucial to to have that. However, that doesn't always pay off. And and there are times, where, I mean, he listen, not, none of what I'm saying right now is something that he would not acknowledge or admit to. He has said so publicly 
including in past instances where, uh, you, you know, maybe it was Trace McSorley who was hurt and yep. got the nod over a qualified, able backup who could have played in that circumstance. He, he is loyal. He is especially loyal to the quarterback position. He sees that position as a, a North star of sorts, a compass for the, the entire program and how it wants to run. And Sean Clifford is a perfect embodiment of that. He does everything right in terms of how he conducts himself, how he behaves, sets an example, so on and so forth. However, However, there are times where you, you've you've got to be able to put that aside and and make a decision that is bold and aggressive and is is in the best interest of of the program. And yeah. that's what's going to be super interesting to see is if Sean Clifford isn't right on Saturday at Michigan State because that's that, like to me that's the thing is if if Sean Clifford says he wants to start, you have to start him. It's just a matter of how how quick is the hook yeah. if yeah. things appear the way that they did on Saturday, which I think that you would agree were not great. I got to admit, I'm a, I'm a little surprised that that you had that view. So from from a from the X's and O standpoint, and, and this is just what I'll say about the, the last thing we'll say about the Iowa discussion is James Franklin said there's a difference between putting Christian value in in this game versus this opponent at home versus on the road versus that particular defense. Iowa runs only zone coverage. Only zone coverage. Christian Veyu, I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but he nearly threw two interceptions into zone coverage on Saturday against Rutgers, who's bad. They're bad at football. They don't cover well. They, they, they don't tackle well. They don't stop the run particularly well, and that's their strength. So there's a huge difference between that and Iowa from a schematic standpoint of he would have gotten a completely different game. And he's going to get a completely different game if he plays against Michigan State. So to take these results as definitive against a team that was playing cover one and cover zero and wasn't doing it well is wrong to then retroactively apply that to one of the best zone discipline teams in America, regardless of conference. So... I don't know if he would have performed well. He probably would have done better than Taquan Roberson in just operating the pre-snap offense because that was clear on Saturday that he's got that part down. But then the question does become, as Dave said, if you weren't in the program watching him run the offense, at what point did that click in? At what point could he just call the play in the huddle and adjust pre-snap? Because that's half the battle, and I don't know the answer to that either. So I think I think that's a fair point to bring up that this has been happening all season, but the tipping point, as Dave said, is very much up in the air to me. But uh, that's the first time I think we've disagreed on anything about that, Nate. That's the first time we got to mark this down. I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's like obvious necessarily that it should have been a slam dunk that that Veyu had passed, like because that's the decision. The decision isn't whether or not to play Roberson or Veyu in that moment, the decision is making Roberson the backup quarterback in the first place mm -hmm. or having not adjusted that depth chart between August and that game. Because like, this is another conversation. All of those decisions are made 
so far and right like decisions yeah. aren't made during games decisions are made during the week decisions yep. are made on tuesdays and thursdays and so they went into that game and kept the depth chart the same and so you have to play take one roberson in that pl- in that instance because that is who you have deemed as the backup quarterback however soon as those as soon as the train was off the tracks uh y- you have seen enough from Christian Veyu to believe him to be close enough to, to Roberson that, okay, one guy's not ready. The other guy, you have to give him a shot because you have an opportunity to win this game. Uh, this is the BWI live show. We're spending a good number of minutes talking about Christian Veyu, his performance on Saturday and what that means for the program going forward. Uh, we're going to, Put that down for a little bit because we spent almost a half hour talking about that. Let's talk about something different quickly on the Penn State running backs. Dave Kevon Lee, 14 carries, 41 yards. Anything new to report on the running backs? Uh, has he solidified that? And are you are you seeing progress in the running game at all? If it's a relevant topic, even I don't even know if it's a good question. This is our our weekly tradition where you ask me this question and I tell you that some version of. I don't know. Like <laughs> he, he, was, he was fine. He had three point two yards per carry against Rutgers. Like eh, you know, what I want to know is can Mason can can walk on quarterback Mason Stahl play running back because he had a seventeen yard rush and I don't know if Penn State has seen one of those in forever. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't know. As far as Kevon Lee goes, like look, he is what he is. Um, I think it's kind of apparent that he is at the top of the food chain, even if, if they're not saying that just based on the carries that he's getting, but you know, it, it, they're, they're not getting anything spectacular out of that room. Yes. Yeah. John, John Lovett, um, was not in the game assumed. I would assume he was one of the players that was ill coming into this game. Uh, and of course my guy, Kaziah Holmes averages five yards carry on like three carries at the end of the game. Just saying he <laughs> Keep the faith, Penn State uh, running game fans. There's there there is some hope next year, and one of the areas that I think there's a little bit more hope, Dave. And I'll give you a better question: Is what did you see from some of the Penn State depth along the offensive line? Were there things that stood out to you there? Because it there might be something more to talk about than Kevon Lee for the twelfth time in a row. Yeah. So this was. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, this Penn State finished this game with its highest running run block uh, grade um, for the season, um, which was seven. I think it was seventy three point five, which is not amazing, but it's good. Um, and granted, it was Rutgers, but Penn State has also played some bad teams before. Um, but yeah, you know, I thought Landon Tengwall played well. He did his job. Um, he got a lot of snaps. I think he got like sixty something snaps. So he played a lot. We saw a lot of him. Um, Jimmy Christ was pretty good. Safter was all right. Like, you know, the, the, the backups played pretty well. So, uh, I'm interested to see what Penn State does this week. We're here on the BWI live post game show. Appreciate you sticking with us. We're having, it's like every other, whichever one I'm, I'm trying to ask the questions of the person who has the clearest picture on our show today to make sure we're avoiding some of the issues we're having with our, uh, with our audio and video connection, but appreciate you sticking with us. One thing I want to ask you, Nate, seeing as you've got a nice crystal clear picture. Um, oh, there we go. What, what, what do you make of Malik Mega? Uh, is, is, was this a Daniel George moment against Akron? Or, as we talked about last week on the show, 
going to be entering his third year next year. Is this somebody that Penn State fans have to now consider taking seriously going forward at 6'4", over 200 pounds, and runs as fast as you saw on Saturday? Yeah, for sure. No, he, he he's, I mean, he's going to play. And he demonstrated that um, by the fact that he was getting earned reps in the first place, right? I, I think the first game that he saw was Illinois, um, but he's played in every game since then, and his reps have increased every game since then. Um, he was just hurt. Like, that's it. Uh, last season was, you know, really to the extent that it could be under COVID conditions, uh, a developmental year for him, as it was for a lot of those guys. Um, but he was expected through the offseason this year to, to start to just take some steps. And he, he's got, like, James Franklin has said it multiple times now in uh, on his radio show that this kid has all the the size speed like the stats are all there for him um it, it is it is a very appetizing and enticing uh opportunity for him to to like that's what you want you want a guy that's six four 200 pounds and can run like that uh however as you know we know and have talked about many times it's just consistency yeah how often can you duplicate the effort and Malik mega had by, by a matter of simply not being available and not being on the right. Like the best, the best ability is availability. Yep. And so yep. his inavailability at the beginning of the season prevented him from being on the, on the field. Now that uh, issue seems to be passed and he's starting, starting to take the strides that uh, the Penn state wants to see. I mean, I, I, very, very much expect him and anticipate him, barring other injury concerns, uh, to be a factor, honestly, the last two games this year and next season as well. I want to double back to the offensive line because we were talking about Landon Tangwall, and I'm going to do a whole daily show today on Landon Tangwall. So I got a little skittish. I didn't want to spoil all the fun for later today. Make sure you tune in. But uh, Dave, I wanted to bring up Ryan's question about the offensive line. I saved this for now. Hopefully, Ryan, you're still paying. You're you're still here with the show, regular on the show. I didn't forget about this. I was trying to save your question to the point that I think made sense. Some of the offensive linemen that we didn't see on Saturday are guys that I think might fit this bill out of the senior who uh, are, came back, who do you think has the opportunity to return for another year? I think he means of the seniors that walked or that didn't walk, who are the guys that you think have the best reasoning for returning? Dave, does anyone come to mind to you? You muted again. Your cat was being loud, huh? <laughs> it's driving me crazy. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think Nateson did, did some uh, reporting earlier uh, you know, before the season that Penn State maybe wasn't super keen on on using that extra year if, if it could avoid it with some of these older guys. Um, so I, I don't know where they stand with that now. Um, the offensive line is interesting, though, because the offensive line, it hasn't been great. Right. Do you want guys who, who haven't been any good back? Like, I don't know. It, it, when, I, when I think about it, I think the two guys that stand out to me are Jair Brown. Do you get another year of Jair Brown? And Sean Clifford, mm -hmm. um, which is also an interesting question. Um, but outside of that, I mean, like I, I, I don't know, T. Frank. Do you have a guy in mind that you're you're circling? Uh, well, he's a redshirt junior, but 
Um, Rasheed Walker has not had a phenomenal year. And I know that that's, I don't, he didn't walk on Saturday, right? Like he was not considered a part of the senior class. He's a guy that we've talked about a lot as far as uh, who could go to the NFL draft early, you know, as a redshirt junior. But I just, I don't think he's played well enough to, to make himself a top 100 pick this season. And then it becomes about, do you, like you said, I don't know that Mike Miranda makes a lot of sense for Penn State football to bring back. Uh, and then, Nate, you brought up P.J. Mustafer to James Franklin earlier this year, and he had a reaction that surprised me a little bit because I was thinking, based on what you had said earlier, that it was not really an option for anybody in the program going forward. What do you take of that idea that Ryan's bringing up of guys that could return? Uh, I think that it is like, let's cut the pretense. If the guy is good. Yeah. They'd love to have him back. Yeah. Um, if the guy isn't or isn't particularly um, productive, you know, for whatever reason, like I, I, the, the guy that kind of stands out to me is Cam Sullivan Brown. It, you know, here's a guy who yeah. people, th- there had been a buzz about him. There had been some expectation for that, three years in a row. Yeah. And, <laughs> and look, but again, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't diminish, you know, the effort that he's put in the, the contributions that he's made to the program. I mean, look like this is, this is where the analysis part comes in that, that is, um, y- you know, less rosy, but like, he's, he's had the opportunity. He's had the chance to put that on the field. Uh, Anthony Wigan has had the opportunity. He's had the chance to put it on the field. Um, you know, and, and so if you've gotten your shot and you've, you've been able to be healthy or not either way, um, you know, they're just, it's going to be few and far between, uh, in terms of those kinds of guys that, that, because that's, that's the deal is James Franklin talked about it last week again on his radio show. It's not, it's not just, Hey, if you want to come back, we'd love to use a scholarship on you. Y- you can't, yeah. they're, they're going to be capped at 85 next year with the rules. And so you are taking away a, a potential scholarship for a transfer for somebody coming in late in the class of 2022, yeah. all of those things. I mean, I, I, I just think that it's going to be a balancing act for, for Penn state, but I, I would not anticipate uh, that being necessarily an attractive option. What I like, if I could just add one thing, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to see Penn State's transfer portal additions include someone like that yeah. who has played four seasons but can take advantage of a bone. Like, yeah. adding experience is a solid way to go. Yes, uh, and I think that I think that Penn State will. If, if those are options out there, and who knows what that landscape's going to look like, but I, I think that's the way that Penn State um, might conduct itself. Yeah, and, and the last to the last point of this question, and Ryan, thanks again for the donation to the channel. If you want to add a super chat like Ryan, all you got to do is uh, donate to the channel, and we'll get your question. And look at that. We just got one from David. Appreciate uh, the support to the channel. If you want to ask a question, we'll get to you to it, but we absolutely always get to our super chat questions. So appreciate, guys, supporting the channel. The last thing I want to say about that is, is 2020, as we all know, was a weird situation. Those guys came back because they didn't want to end their season season in that turmoil and and some of those guys 
made great choices for their financial future as well. Uh, looking directly at Jaquan Brisker as a guy who came back and enhanced his draft stock and made it work. This season, it's not like... I always think about Clemson in 2000, I want to say 18, where their entire defensive line could have gone to the draft and they all came back to pursue a national championship run. None of those storylines are about this team. So the seniors that are moving on, either they're going to go to the draft because they're draftable or they're guys that are are going to uh, move on because they're they're not participating on the field. Uh, the other guy that uh, this he brings up another one, uh, that actually I forgot to 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 address. Do you think Ellis Brooks has any reason to come back as a senior? Who uh, did he walk on Saturday? I feel like I'm very unprepared for the show. I apologize. No, he. Did. You guys were at the game. Is he yeah, a guy he that you would you would see as a as a value add to come back next year as well if his draft stock isn't where he wants it? Dave, go to you. Yeah, definitely. I I mean, if if he wants to come back, I certainly think he's a useful piece that that Penn State would accept. Um, but yeah, I, as far as the other question, um, you know, T. Frank, I, I guess to me, um, I would lean towards Kalen King. I've been impressed with 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 what Kalen King has done. He was really good on Saturday. He got like twenty snaps. Yep. Um, he was targeted twice. Broke up both of those passes. Probably should have had an interception. Um, do you think that um, Daquan Hardy fits better in the slot? Yeah. Would, would, would you be hesitant to move out of that star position? I, I, that's a tough question because I'm always open to new ideas like Daquan Hardy playing on the boundary, but he's been so good in the slot. And you can look at that as a 12th starter, so I don't necessarily know that it makes sense to move him from where you know, especially seeing as you've got both of those guys, that's how you get them both on the field. So to me, it's not right. so much that one or the other replaces Tariq Castro Fields. It's going to be Kalen King and Johnny Dixon taking those snaps next mm -hmm. year. Daquan Hardy's already a starter. And, and this is just, if you don't view the slot corner as a full-time starter on the defense... You should start doing that because it absolutely is. And he's been a critical piece of this defense. I said this the other day. I think he's the second best corner on the team, despite the fact playing in the slot. Uh, this is another question that we've gotten a lot. Brandon Smith, come back or not? I guess this, this is going to be how we address the defense today, guys. Brandon Smith, back or not, Nate? Uh, but to be determined, I think, uh, I, Guys like him, the issue is not from from our perspective, right? It's well, he hasn't been so lights out this year that it's a slam dunk day one, day two pick. Yep, um, I, I think that's fair. However, he's a guy who tests so well physically that an opportunity to go to Indianapolis and light up the combine might change that. A, a little bit he for can change sure. that dynamic and yep. so right like that's look the nfl is just as much about potential if not more you know this d frank than it is what you've actually done yeah and he he ticks off all of the boxes in terms of his approach to the game uh you know maturity you want him in your locker room like all of those different things on top of the athleticism that he has that you're saying to yourself okay um you know you're if you're him 
you're going to develop or you're going to anticipate developing just as much under an NFL linebacker right. coach as you right. would under Brent Pry. Uh, however, Brent Pry has an excellent track record of developing linebackers and being able to, to, to make them better through their careers. Yep. So I, I think that, I think that Brandon wins either way. It's just the question of what he wants to do and how he wants to proceed. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's, I always bring up Kevin Givens because Kevin Givens was, I, I think, criticized for not coming back for another year. Kevin Givens wasn't getting any bigger. He was 6'1", 285 or so. And he was good as far as, you know, his technical ability. He's going to work on all of that if he takes a chance on himself in the NFL. He didn't get drafted. He was put on a practice squad. And now he is a co-starter for the San Francisco 49ers. So you can get better in the NFL as long as you have the talent physically to make the team. And Brandon Smith is going to be drafted. He's going yep. to be overdrafted based on his production. Like, you're, there's a potential for Jahan Dotson to be underdrafted based on his game just because of the physical size and the you know the the tangible gifts that Brandon Smith brings to the football field and that's exactly right the things that you and I've talked about as far as his ability to play in the box have gotten better so as long as that reaches a point where an NFL team feels like okay he's not going to be a disaster there we see the potential then yeah I, I think that that's that's the question is does he want to have that guaranteed by another good year of football ahead of him or is he going to be happy with that mid-round, maybe at most second-round draft pick contract. And that that's, in these situations, that's always up to the individual. It's not really up to all of us, because I think, Dave, uh, you, you agree he would benefit from coming back for another year, or do you think he would benefit from going? Uh, well, Mel Kuyper had him in his top 25 on his big board. So if that is the case, then bye-bye, see you later. So you I, just, <laughs> I, I just want to say... There's a reason that I do my own film analysis, and it started with Mel Kiper. But continue. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's it. NFL teams are going to want him for the same reason they want him because he's an athletic freak, and maybe he hasn't necessarily filled out into what Penn State maybe he could be, um, and and maybe what some of the recruiting guys thought he could be while in college. But he still has the same potential to do that in the NFL. So. And maybe he's a guy like, look, Odafe Owe didn't have a sack his junior year. And, and you know, this probably isn't a perfect comparison, but I think it works. And now he's a freak for the Ravens. So yeah, I, I don't I don't think that college production always equates to draft stock. And in fact, I know that it doesn't. Right. So I, I certainly think that it's, it's, it's a possibility that Brandon Smith, like Nate said, lights up the combine and goes a bit earlier than we, we think he might. So now we're on this train. We're going to keep going. Joey Porter Jr. What, Nate, what are your <laughs> thoughts on, on what that decision is going to be as a guy whose father obviously is Joey Porter, knows his way around the NFL, knows his way around the NFL draft. Uh, he clearly looks like a guy that wants to play on Sundays. Like everything screams that about him. Do you think he's a, a quasi surprise early departure? Um, I, I would say this. I would say this, and, and this is speaking more generally. But I, I think most of the guys that you think, or we think, or everyone else thinks are toss ups are more likely to go than to come back because 
that's what everybody's trying to do. <laughs> Nobody that's playing college football is doing it. I mean, there are a few for the love of the game, yeah. but everybody's trying to go to the NFL. Everybody wants to go to the NFL. And so very clearly, if, if Joey Porter has an opportunity, to, I mean, look, like I have no idea what genu genuinely like, is he, I mean, is he a day two pick? Like what's his... Well, 35-inch arms, and it would it's all going to come down to his 40 time. But a press man coverage team is going to want Joey Porter Jr. for his size and his physical abilities. And and he's shown okay. that he can play against Chris Olave, and he can hang with those guys and Garrett Wilson in coverage. So then again, it's the same conversation of, do you want to develop that guy on your roster, or do you want that guy to develop in college, and then you draft him ready to go? Because there's still some areas in zone coverage where he's not particularly good and then there are some times where again if you check out my film study you see sometimes he just does weird things during the route for no reason so there's some rawness there but the physical tools are off the chart can he can he play himself or galt himself into a first round pick yeah if he runs a if he runs anything sub four five i know i'm sorry four four five then he's absolutely a lock to be a first round pick I mean, okay. Kevin Kevin King was a first-round pick. If you watch the NFL, if you watch the Green Bay Packers, size and length matters more than literally anything else. So I wouldn't draft Joey Porter Jr. in the first round based on his film, but based on the fact that he looks like a condor, yeah, probably I'd draft him. So, okay. I, I, yeah. But that that's that's always what the equation ends up being, though, is if, if there's a potential, and I think Jahan Dotson is the perfect example of that, of... Jahan Dotson, if his cap, if his ceiling had been a fourth round pick, then maybe he doesn't come back for this year. He felt obviously very strongly that there were improvements and developments that he could make from last year to this to put himself in a position to be a higher draft pick and like a much higher draft pick. And so if that's what the, the proposition is for Joey Porter Jr., then maybe it's the same outcome. But, um, you know, for some of these guys, it it's simply a matter of if the opportunity is there and you can get the clock started on earning a contract and making money and beginning your career. Yeah, that that's what you do. That's yeah, it's it's honestly not that difficult of a decision. Uh, I just I like this comment. Just very friendly. Hey, all. Hey, man. Hey, Dr. C. Sistrata. How you doing? Uh, I, I agree with that. And. And not to overstate this, but his dad played in the NFL, so it's not like it's going to be a culture shock for him to go back to that environment. He knows what that part is about. So uh, I'm kind of talking myself into the fact that this is his last year at Penn State, and we're we're not really talking enough about it. Uh, what sort of season has he had, though, Dave? Like, from an on-field perspective, most of what he's done that people remember have been pass interference and defensive holding calls. You know, to to kind of revert and go backwards in our conversation, that can't make you feel good if you're a team, though, right? Because is all of what he's doing based on the fact that he's got long arms and he's grabby? Yeah, I mean, I guess if 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 he's good because he's got long arms, then I'm okay with that because you can also be good for other reasons, and and people don't take that away from you. You know what I mean? But like. Yeah, are are the penalties a concern? Sure, but have they ruined his season and just turned him into this liability? No, he's been he's been good. He's been very solid. Uh, 
He imp- he improved his coverage. I think um, he, he's he's still very good in the run game. He's very good helping out there. So yeah, I, I think he's been a solid cornerback for Penn State. Has he been game changing? No, but can you really complain about him that much? I don't think so. I think he's been fine. Uh, yes or no? Do you want him on your favorite NFL team? And also, what's your favorite NFL team? Uh, mine is the Minnesota Vikings. And if you've seen, if you watched Aaron <laughs> Rodgers pick pick the Minnesota Vikings apart on Sunday, the answer is yes. Uh, yes. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so to this to this uh, question, dispenser. Uh, Brandon Smith did play. I don't know if he was sick or not. Curtis Jacobs did not play because he was sick. That's why you saw so much of Jonathan Sutherland, who played linebacker in emergency duty. Again, going back to what the Rutgers game was all about for Penn State. I know he was second on the depth chart, but we have really not seen Jonathan Sutherland play linebacker this year. That has been more of a, a talking point than anything. Curtis Jacobs has been out there the entire time when the Sam linebacker is needed. Uh, and then Devin Ford, where has he been? Nate? What is the situation? This is the part that I think is is interesting is people are still wondering about Devin Ford. At times you've brought him up this year. What is your now at the end of the season conclusion about Ford and his status and and where he is or what's going on? Uh just to fill out the Curtis Jacobs thing, he puked at breakfast on Saturday. <laughs> so, awesome. That that precluded his participation. Um no, Devin, look, Devin, so Devin Ford is either hurt or sick um, because he was hurt against Iowa and didn't come back. He did, like, this is the thing that I didn't notice, but he did get snaps, a couple of snaps against Michigan. Mm-hmm. So he, I mean, we've seen him in practice, um, but he, you know, he, he was not healthy enough after that Iowa game and for a few weeks following to be able to kind of work himself back into the rotation. Uh you know, it's, it's the same story is that availability issue. And if you're not, then you're missing practice reps. You're missing valuable time to develop. You're missing that opportunity to get involved. Um, and so I, I, I mean, I remain of the mindset, just given the things that James Franklin has said publicly about him, that there is still opportunity for him in that room, that there's still a place for him. Like I don't, certainly I don't see it as a, Hey, thanks for your service, Devin. Uh, you know, but if you want to look for another school, I don't think it's that I really don't. Um, it's, it's just a matter of, you know, where, where does he, where does he stand physically coming out of the year? And, you know, can he, um, can he be a positive contributor for Penn state next season? Dave, uh, I'll ask you the same question. Has the clock run out on Devin Ford? Do you agree with Nate? Yeah, I, I guess if you're looking at Penn State's running back room, can you – I do think you might have to to, to move some guys on because there's a ton of guys there. But I don't know that anyone has separated themselves to the extent where, okay, these are the three guys that I, I need to move on and these are the two that I want to move forward with, you know? So – uh, I guess I kind of had the same mindset. I don't think that he's gone by any means. That It's going to be an interesting thing to monitor going forward because there there are going to be transfers. There are every year. And my curiosity is Devin Ford, my interactions with him seem like he is a very proud running back. He seems like he's a very proud individual. 
and to not be able to contribute this year, it's either a coaching thing or and he's going to want to move on or he's going to try and stick it out. But I don't foresee him coming back to a situation where he's not a part of a main part of the rotation. Just that's my read on his personality of a guy that is, it seemed like he's a very, uh, yeah, a very proud person that wants to be a part of it, believes in himself and guys like that. If they don't get a chance to play, that tends to happen. So that's what I'm looking at. Um, Spencer, and I appreciate you donating the channel. One of the things here that I think is really important that we've covered is that Kaziah Holmes is red shirting. We, I, I am a Kaziah Holmes super fan. For everything we just talked about, Devin Ford, everyone's thinking Devin Ford is the speed back that is going to solve these problems. I have moved on from Devin Ford personally because I've seen enough to know that he hasn't developed physically. Kaziah Holmes has, but he's doing that in a redshirt year. And James Franklin, unless he's physically forced to do it, is not burning a redshirt. So that is the year that Kaziah Holmes is having. He is, I think, going to be a big contributor as far as what happens next year in the running back room, but it is not going to be, at the very least, until the bowl game. I think he has one more game before that is up. He's played in two so far this year, the third one this week, so it's either going to be next week or the bowl game, but I do not believe it'll be both. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you, because Holmes absolutely needs to get more touches. We'll see more of that in 2022, however. Uh, BWI Live, we're wrapping up here. I want to get your thoughts on uh, what's coming up next week. What are you thinking about? What are you looking forward to as we head into Thanksgiving week, Nate? Uh, James Franklin's contract. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that this, uh, I am, and maybe I'm wrong. But it, here's the problem. I just said James Franklin's contract. It's not about James Franklin. It's not about his contract. This is a crossroads for Penn State football and for it to happen in the last week, next to last week of November means that it won't get the attention necessarily. But if this goes the way I think it's going to go and he gets a contract extension approved uh, tomorrow on Tuesday, then really what's coming attached to it is a decision by Penn State as an institutional to take football really, really seriously. And if that happens, uh, it, it is a roadmap to a future in which I think that the program is more competitive on a, not just a big 10 scale, but a national scale moving forward. Uh, we had to end with some very juicy and thoughtful analysis from you. So thanks, Nate. Could have done another 20 minutes on that. Although we've done that particular conversation so many times. If you want to see that, Nate and I have talked about that on the BWI Daily about it once a week for the last two months. So just go check out YouTube, Blue White Illustrated on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. You're already here if you're watching this video. So just hit subscribe. And if you've gotten this far in the video, give it a like. We appreciate you coming. Dave, your final thoughts as we head into the week against Michigan State. What are you thinking about? What do you want to know coming up this week? Um, Michigan State's pass defense isn't very good. <laughs> uh, my analysis is not as big picture. Um, but yeah, you know, Kenneth Walker, right? He's going to be I'm, – I'm looking forward to watching Kenneth Walker. I don't know if Penn State fans are. Um, but yeah, how is Penn State going to stop one of the best running backs in the country? Are they going to be able to take advantage of a really not very good Michigan State pass defense? Um, I think there might be a lot of points in this game, which hasn't really been the case uh, in Penn State games recently. 
Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm excited for for Michigan State. I think it should be fun. Uh, one thing that I'll I'll end with, and something I noticed watching the film, maybe somebody else saw this and picked this up on the game. Ellis Brooks, one of the last plays, he came off holding that casted thumb. So stopping Kenneth Walker starts with having your starting middle linebacker. Don't know anything, just telling you what I saw on film as far as the guy who ran off the field immediately once that happened. That is going to be interesting. We are going to get no information on that going through the week about uh, Ellis Brooks or his thumb or his hand or whatever, but that will be a big thing coming up next week, and that's something I'm looking forward to finding more out even if it's just on Saturday. That'll do it today for the BWI live show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Thanks again to Nate Bauer and Dave Eckert for coming on and sharing their thoughts about Penn State football here on the show. Make sure you stick around. We got the BWI Daily Edition coming up all week long. We're not taking any time off for Thanksgiving because that's how we roll. Stay tuned for that. Make sure you subscribe and where you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>